Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Bald Move Prestige movie. Today, we're talking about 1988's Rain Man, who, correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, this was like the top grossing film of the year and also did quite well for itself in the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it was um, uh, nominated for eight, won three, and it made like a billion times its budget. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, it was directed by Barry Levinson, which you might recognize from his work uh, on The Natural, Good Morning Vietnam, uh, Wag to Dog, and Sleepers. It's written by Barry Morrow and Ronald Bass, uh, or maybe Ronald Bass. I didn't look that up. Shoot, just just realized. Um, which we'll talk about. We'll talk a little bit more about Barry Morrow when we start talking about the impact of the of the film it had on its, its subject matter. Uh, it stars, of course, Dustin Hoffman as Raymond Ray Babbitt. Um, on a, and it stars Tom Cruise as his brother, Charlie, and also Valeria uh, Golino, who I'd only known as the, the hot, funny girl from Hot Shots uh, and Hot Shots Part Two. Yeah, it's been so, so long since I've seen those that I didn't remember her from them. She's actually and Italian, what, though, and she's playing Italian in this movie. So, Gotcha. And I wondered if... Um, like what happened to her? Because she was in these big movies in the eighties, and I, I looked through her um, like uh, IMDb and some, and I guess she does just one thing after another. Man, she kept trying to work on both sides of the pond, and one contract would interfere with another contract, and then that would fall through, and then that was delayed, and she like that. It seemed like ten years of her life clicked by, and so it's a shame. She's in but, a lot uh, of big movies, like this. this right. So, uh, I'm not saying this was a big movie, but she went to Rain Man right after Big Top Pee Wee, which you know, not the best Pee Wee mm-hmm. movie. Uh, but she's in, like you said, Hot Shots. She was in Leaving Las Vegas. She was in Escape from L.A. Like she was in Leaving Las Vegas, apparently playing someone named Terry. Yeah, Jesus, we just saw that movie, and I did not, I did not, I did not remember. It must have been that. a minor role. Yeah, but yeah, um, what did you think? I mean, so let's talk about. I, I, I got a lot to unpack about this particular movie myself, but like. What have you? What did you think of this movie? What's your relationship with it? Since it's a kind of a classic, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I saw it. Um, it it's been over a decade since I've seen this movie. Uh, I definitely didn't see it even close to when it it aired uh, in the theaters. But I had seen it one time, and I remember thinking it was really good. Um, and coming back to it now, I still think it's good. I don't think it's as good. I, I think the screenplay is not what is amazing here. I think the performances are what are, is amazing. Um, the screenplay is sort of, it, it leaves me wanting a, something a little bit more from this movie. Um, fr- from Charlie, mostly. Like, I, I want I want something else here to really, I, I don't know, k- kick this movie into high gear somewhere in, like, the beginning of the third act. Um, other than going to Vegas, but yeah, I, Vegas wasn't the third act kicked in the pants. Like, uh, I don't know. And maybe it's because I've seen this before and I know that Vegas is coming and I know that he's, you know, going to try and exploit Raymond in all these ways. But like, yeah, I, I think Dustin Hoffman's performance is incredible here. Tom Cruise is almost as good, even though he, you know, gets less praise for the role because it's not really as hard of a thing to play an asshole. We've seen a lot of people play assholes in movies. Um, self-absorbed you know financially motivated douches uh but yeah I, I i still think it's good um but the performances are what make it for me uh so this is the first time i've seen this movie myself um you know it's one of those things in the 80s is rated r i didn't get a chance to see it and then like it's also when i was watching this it felt very much like the experience i've had when i've watched a movie but it's been a long time because I felt like I've seen a vast majority of this movie. This movie was huge. I mean, we talked about it being a big box office trial. We talked about it being, um, you know, uh, making a lot of noise in the Oscars for the performances. Like, you know, the Rain Man, the central Raymond role with Dustin Hoffman is very iconic. And mm-hmm. like, I've seen so much of this movie parodied, quoted, referred to in commercials. That things like, you know, the card counting scene, the, the, the two minutes of Wapner stuff, like some of the, the, the affectations that Hoffman's character plays, all that stuff felt like it was kind of like review material, um, which left kind of like the basic structure. Like, as I, I didn't know, like, um, you know, some of these films um, like uh, we were just talking about this when we were selecting Rain Man, because like right around the same time Rain Man came out, 
uh, Philadelphia, you know, mm, yeah. uh, at the time that was seen as a really big pro, uh, I, I don't know, is pro gay, uh, the, or the right term to say, or maybe like anti being a hateful bigot towards people with <laughs> HIV AIDS sure. is better. But like modern audiences, when they watch this, it's just like really hard to connect with Denzel Washington's character because he starts the movie as such a hateful bigot. Hmm. Um, but that is the world that the movie was made in. And I think that Rain Man is complicated the same way that like before yeah. this movie, there weren't sympathetic portrayals of people with autism or any kind of like mental illness. And a lot of Tom Cruise's early attitudes towards his brother are mm-hmm. painful, honestly to watch and especially yeah. painful because I like, I know you, you know, I've had the same experience. Like we grew up with a, with a kid that was, I have, I, I still to this day don't know exactly what his diagnosis was. I'm not sure if he got diagnosis, but the, he yeah. was what you would call, you know, uh, had several cognitive impairments, emotional dis- disabilities. Um, and he could be a lot to deal with a lot of times. Um, but he also was, a really interesting creative individual that brought a lot of joy into my life. Um, mm-hmm. And nowadays I, I have uh, an autistic uh, nephew that's uh, 17 years old. And um, you know, he's not like profoundly autistic or like deep on the spectrum, but like, you, you, anyone spends a couple minutes talking to him is going to come away. as like, this guy's thinking a bit differently. Yeah. Um, so I was like, as, as I was watching this, I was like, huh, I wonder, you know, like what this movie's reputation is amongst like modern autism organizations and people that have autism and stuff. And as you would expect, it's kind of mixed, but it's more positive than than I would have guessed. And I, I guess I kind of have all that stuff in my notes to talk about at the end of the movie. But there is a lot of this that I, I felt kind of like like identified in like from from experiences I had in my own life, you know, with our friend. Um, experiences I've had with like my nephew um, like that that came out and kind of brought a smile to my face but also there's a couple winces there because Tom Cruise is yes. a super huge asshole uh-huh. and is not very patient and does not have a lot of time for accommodating his brother's disability at the beginning of the film yeah. and I thought the end was very unsatisfying right? but probably in a way that contemporaneously was meant to be mm-hmm. Like you want the big happy holiday Hollywood ending where Tom Cruise comes to an appreciation of his brother and he gets to um, bring him into his life and his brother's world gets to expand beyond the institution that he's stuck in at the end of the film. But that doesn't happen. And then the film kind of ends in this kind of melancholy contemplation of that. And I think it's intentional. Oh, yeah. I mean, how else do you see that going? Like, I I mean, clearly Raymond needs 24 seven attention, right? And Tom Cruise, uh, Charlie, is not going to be able to give him that. It's just not going to happen. Right. He needs to be somewhere where people can attend to his needs 24 hours of the day. So it was only ever going to end that way, right? Um, I, I think the the thing that is interesting about this movie is sort of the way that Charlie perceives Raymond through the course of the film um, and the way he interacts mm-hmm. with him. Because, like, Charlie starts off as this self-absorbed asshole who's trying to manipulate everything around him to work out for his own ends. You know, um, this car scheme Literally he's got everything. going. Yeah. I mean, he's lying to people. He's, he's changing people's minds. He's bribing people, whatever he needs to do. And he tries that shit with Raymond over the course of the movie. Right. He's like, just, just why, why don't you just do this, do this? Like he's telling him all these things to do. He's telling him what not to do. Raymond doesn't give a shit. Right. Raymond's like, Raymond's the unmovable force and here Tom Cruise is trying to be this or or he's the the immovable object Tom Cruise is trying to be the unstoppable force it's just not working so like over the course of the movie his way of dealing not I think not just with Raymond but probably with people in general has to change because the other is not possible right changing the things around him is no longer an option um so so that's like probably the best part of this movie i think it's the best thing this movie does is show that um depict that change in that character but yeah i I felt definitely unsatisfied at the end of this movie but probably intentionally like you said yeah i mean there's a there's a glimmer of hope where he says goodbye to his brother says i'll see you in two Two weeks weeks, so it's like you know obviously the middle route there if if tom crew if uh, charlie can find in his heart is to maybe move to cincinnati 
or maybe find him um, a center in L.A. so that he can be a much bigger part of his brother's life, sure. you know, take him out on field trips. Because I think I definitely got the the uh, opinion watching this movie that the institution um, where people, you know, it was a positive depiction. It wasn't like a hit piece mm-hmm. on a state run institution. They cared for him. He had meaningful friendships there, people he trusted. But yeah. like maybe they aired on the caution of like not triggering Raymond too much, like not exposing him to new things, not maybe. And yeah. there's a question of and, and, and honestly, I'm as an am- amateur at all this. I'm not sure. But like the question of like, um, you know, could he have a bigger, more fulfilling, uh, larger life? You know, right. could he tell could a joke? He, could he, you know, kiss exactly. a girl like that kind of thing? Right. Exactly. And a lot of this, like, you know, there's a lot of things I found in my research with this is that, um, you know, Barry Morrow had had his life impacted by a few people uh, severely, you know, that had these kind of profound mental and uh, cognitive, emotional impairments, but also may or may not have had gifts to kind of offset those. And he made uh, stories about them. Uh, one was um, Bill Sachter, um, which is an autistic savant that got made into a TV film uh, called Bill. And then Kim Peek, who inspired Rain Man. Um, uh, he, he actually turned that to his, his, um, information about him and relationship into, uh, with, with him into the script for Rain Man. Um, and, uh, you know, when he won the Oscar, I thought this was an uh, interesting thing. So I, what I'm getting at is Barry Morrow is like, seems like he's a very sympathetic person still to this day involved in a lot of autistic and, uh, mental in- impairment organizations, uh, gave his Oscar to Kim Peek. This autistic man who carried who uh, carried it with them everywhere, loves showing it to people. Is called the most loved Oscar statue in the world because that's his favorite thing to do: is run up to people, show him the Oscar, let him hold it. Um, and when he died in two thousand nine, uh, Morrow donated this to his hometown of Salt Lake City uh, for them to display permanently in a museum. And he set up a foundation and a, a, ch- a, a charitable scholarship in, in Kim Peek's name. So it's like this isn't like. Exit like like however you feel about it. Thirty two years, thirty four years later, this wasn't a film that was intended to exploit people, and it wasn't a film that was intended to exploit the subject matter. In fact, yeah. um, everything I read said that this was a very positive thing in Kim Peek's life, and from a uh, um, uh, broadening his life, uh, giving him more confidence, putting him in more contact with people. So like yeah, like the, the idea that this was like some kind of malicious or like tone deaf or something made from someone outside of the community looking in, I think you can you could probably dismiss that, but. You know, like I said, I only spent like a a bit of a morning researching that. So there's people with hot takes uh, in these autism organizations that disagree. Probably listen to them instead of me. But um, I did enjoy it, though. Uh, I thought Mm -hmm. it was very funny in places. Oh, yeah. Uh, Tom Cruise's frustration uh, with the situation. I felt very identified with that very strongly in a couple places. Uh Um, And personally super flattered that Cincinnati was such a huge part that they bothered to actually come out to Cincinnati and film some of her famous uh, landmarks and eat in some of her famous eateries and stuff Mostly like just that bridges, uh, right? <laughs> I feel like those of, are the most identifiable landmarks from Cincinnati. A lot of Roebling suspension bridge, which if you don't know is uh, essentially a scale model of the Brooklyn bridge. Yeah. Um, it was the, the thing that Roebling did before he designed the Brooklyn bridge is kind of like a trial run and Cincinnati got, we got the trial bridge. We're really Weak. proud of it. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I'm glad I saw it and um, uh, had, had a really fond, fond uh, time. God, I'm really struggling finding my words today. I don't know. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, what do you want to we, we should uh, maybe if, if you're like me and you haven't seen this movie before, uh, I'll just briefly give you a rundown of what it's about and you can make a decision of whether you want to see it or not. And then we'll talk uh, uh, in detail. Uh, Rain Man's about, as, as Jim said, this man, Charlie, uh, Tom Cruise is real go getter. He's he's it reminded me a lot of like the early goings of Wolf of Wall Street, yeah. where you had that uh, guy just like trying to talk people into penny stocks. He's got this scheme where he's importing gray market Lamborghinis trying to hustle them through customs because there's a shortage of these things and they're in high demand and trying to get them to finesse them through EPA restrictions and all that kind of stuff. Um, in the middle of this big deal where he's got like, I think $90,000 of his own money hung out on the line. He gets a call that his dad who's, who's been estranged from has died. 
and left. There's a considerable estate um, to be settled. So he flies back to his hometown of Cincinnati, finds out that he was given rose bushes and an old car mm-hmm. and the three million dollar inheritance went to this blind, this distrust. And through some sleuthing, he figures out that 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 uh, this is essentially, I think, his half brother. Um, that his dad that that was never part of his life for for mysterious reasons that he never knew he had, and now he knows he's got this brother, and he's got up this profound uh, impairment, and he's in an institution, and he wants his share of the money. His dad explicitly wrote him in the list, so he essentially kidnaps Raymond, his brother. Mm-hmm. And goes on a long road trip, playing hot potato with the lawyers, trying to, uh, yeah, hold him hostage for money. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It's a kid. It's in the the movie. Like I'm so glad because the movie even deals with it. Like the lawyers, like you know, like this is so, uh, and that's it. Um, You know, and and will Tom Cruise's Charlie, you know, come to grips with his brother? Will he be able to make uh, accommodations for him? Will he be able to appreciate him as a human being, et cetera, et cetera? That's the emotional core of the rest of the movie, like him coming to grips with his own self, his relationship with his brother, his father, how he feels about that. Um, and it, it features just a really good and, and, and in- interesting performances like Tom Cruise's emotional powerhouse. Uh, Dustin Hoffman as like restrained and controlled. You'll ever see an actor in a performance. Um, and the other thing is. This movie's beautiful. Like there mm-hmm. are some shot. The road trip sequences reminded me a lot of some of the stuff we saw on the Easy Rider. Just sure. huge sweeping vistas of the American Southwest and Midwest, big skies in Montana, et cetera, sunsets over mountains, sunlight shafts piercing, you know, mm-hmm. through clouds bathing. It's just, it's just really these, these, these sh- shoots, these shots that come pretty pretty frequently are just, just gorgeous and, and kind of worth the price of admission all by itself. Uh, so yeah, that's rain, man. All right. Before we get into the spoilery stuff, let's take a quick break. All right, Jim, uh, where do you want to start in our spoilery discussion of this movie? Uh, let's start in very, very smoggy LA. That was one of the things that shocked me because LA isn't as smoggy anymore. Um, but this was oh. made in 19 late eighties. And that was before they had really dealt with that problem. And holy shit, that first shot of the L.A. skyline is depressing. It's crazy. Absolutely. And the film leans into that, like the whole central uh-huh. uh, kerfluffle is over these Lamborghinis failing their emission, the EPA uh, uh, tests. And there's even one line that I loved where he's like, ah, the whole valley is covered in smog and they're wanting to run down four Italian sports cars. But like every yeah, scene, that's the problem. You can, dipshit, <laughs> you can barely see the city. You can barely see the mountains I in know. the background because it's just sh- sh- like, good Lord, how did people live? That's like mm-hmm. turn of the century Eng- England when they're burning or London when they're burning coal and all, all the houses, just like this black fog everywhere. Like, yeah. God damn. It's like parts of. China turn of the decade. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I thought that was interesting how they weave that into the plot and also just like really cool stuff like the opening shot of this Lamborghini being sky craned from the, you know, the boat or whatever onto the dock. It like it looks like something out of Blade Runner. It it uh, at yeah. first I'm thinking like, I don't remember Tom Cruise working on like movies because I thought sure this was going to be some kind of movie shot of some kind of alien mm you know, spaceship or something landing, but no, it's just a Lamborghini sports car. Uh, Yeah. He's, he's importing a lot of different kinds of Italian sports cars. They're all Italian. And that made me wonder, because when we get to his girlfriend, uh, whose name, I don't know in the movie. What is her name? Uh, Uh, Susanna. Susanna. When we get to Susanna, she's clearly like an actual Italian actress. I'm, I'm Mm -hmm. wondering if like, he is with her because he likes her or he's with her because he's got the business importing Italian sports cars and she is very useful for making those arrangements. That's a damn good question. Did that I actually, uh, cause I haven't seen this movie once. Did that come up in their big fight, their big blowout fight in a hotel? I don't remember I don't, it. So this is mostly about his not. treatment of Raymond and extrapolating how he treats everyone, including her, but she didn't. Yeah. I, cause I, I was like, I wonder if she specifically said like, yeah, and you only wanted me because of my, uncle that works in the factory can get you the blah blah yeah she might have said something to the to that effect but yeah i mean that would come in super handy having someone who speaks italian where you're in you're importing italian cars 
yeah, any end could would probably help. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the portrayal of Raymond as an autistic savant? Uh, so this is um, one of the big criticisms I've seen in this film is like, um, while it brought a lot of attention to autism, in fact, like, you know, um, 1988 is weirdly uh, a year of inflection for autism and awareness, like autism diagnosis and awareness, like skyrocket after 1988. And a lot of people call it the Rain Man effect because people, you know, before you just like, oh, kids slow or oh, just having a hard time getting along with people or it seems, mm-hmm. you know, blah, blah, blah. Now people actually had something to like pin on this, this diagnosis that, that uh, we kind of demystified it. Um, but one of the common criticisms is like most autistic people cannot memorize a phone book in a single night or at least half. Well, that's the savant part of it, right? Like that's the savant part, yeah. right? The, the uh, you can have autistic without savant and probably vice versa. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think that's one of the criticisms an autistic is, savant in this movie. Yeah. One of the criticisms is like a lot of people just like it became like a stereotype that oh. like, yes, people are aware of autism, but like they didn't get the fact that like, you know. Yeah, I, can and I imagine that. that could be that could be that could be frustrating. I feel like mm-hmm. 32, four years later, that's no longer the case. But like early goings in the 90s and early aughts of people were like, oh, you're a good guy. So what do you go? Can you show you? Can you count cards? So I'm, I'm sure like any any stereotype can can be harmful. But as far right. as like I, I thought that um, I, I don't know. I just thought it was a really interesting performance because they gave him a lot of strengths like these like. I don't know, Herculean um, uh, abilities to process like raw numbers mm-hmm. and like counting things and memorization feats of memorization um, w- against like his inability to deal with like change in, and they, they did a lot of that. Like there's, it's not just like, you know, schedule and routine, but like he didn't like to get wet, you know, he doesn't like to go out when it rains, um, yeah. you know, loud noises and stuff really trigger him, which <laughs> I, I thought like when, um, you know, when they went to Vegas and we're going to go count cards, I'm like, Jesus Christ. Well, as soon as he steps right. into this, this floor, it's going to be like, but you know, so, so, so sometimes it came and went conveniently to the script, but yeah. And I don't know overall, how, how you think? realistic that is. I, I think the, the portrayal of that was amazing. I think the, you know, the, the acting from Hoffman is incredible. Um, I, I think the portrayal of you know, autism, um, in this character, Raymond, you mentioned like how he has incredible, you know, capabilities when it comes to crunching numbers and stuff. But he also has like some some things around that that are not nearly as incredible, right? Like they they have this demonstration in a doctor's office somewhere in the Midwest, and I don't know um, where he goes in and he's like, "Hey Raymond, what's uh three thousand five hundred and twenty six times four thousand two hundred and eighteen?" And he knows it off the top of his head. But then he asks him like, "If you." If you bought a candy bar for a dollar with a dollar and it was a 50 cent candy bar, how much change would you get? And he has no way to process that. He doesn't understand these concepts around the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not like, oh, he's got this superpower with numbers. Anything with numbers, he's great at. It's like there's a very specific way his brain works. And I think that was one of the more nuanced portrayals of it is it'd be very easy to say, oh, he's just great with numbers, period. But they don't do that, right? They 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 Which take is what it Tom a little Cruise bit deeper. Try, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, right. Um, and they do that throughout the movie. You know, it's not uh, like the Vegas thing doesn't necessarily trigger him. I I think that's like a positive for the movie because it is a lot of stimulation. But also, it wasn't really the stimulation that was the problem for him. It was the very specific triggers, right? Of the mm-hmm. rain, of like uh, mm-hmm. a loud noise or something, or of hot water in a bathtub, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm those those would trigger him it's not necessarily oh there's just a lot going on because he tunes out so so much right oh yeah and and also like um you know i think by the third act because this this vegas stuff happens in the third act of the movie that you're supposed to start thinking like okay you know is raymond going through some growth and we see he does like he is able to make a joke um he's able to you know withstand the 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 onslaught of the vegas stimulation and all that kind of stuff so it's like he's Growing and I, and I, and I, that's the thing. It's like, oh, I, through all these scenes, I was wondering, like, you know, how if you, if, if you made Rain Man today, like how that um, that Midwestern doctor office would go. 
because I, I thought it was pretty good. And you're 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 left from that is thinking that like Tom Cruise is like kind of a, a, a butthole. And that's that's how you're supposed to think of him through most of the movie. Oh, yeah. But like, you know, is like Raymond not really able to process like the meaning of money or is he just never had a reason to? Sure. And he has a coping mechanism of when people ask him something that's kind of like out of his depth. He just ha- just rattles off something because the, the, it seems like also Raymond is very much like wanting to just kind of like what do or say anything that can get him back to something that's familiar, mm-hmm. you know, um, and that about a hundred dollars, you know, someone's asked me about a price, a uh, hundred dollars is a price. I'll just throw it out there. Like with time and patience, could you actually teach him some of that stuff? Like, could you teach Maybe. him how to make a joke and what's a pro? Like, I think yeah. that the answer is you like autistic people can learn just about anything for sure. It's just, you might have to think of different ways to teach a, a, a person that, you know, it'll you take a lot longer. Of, it, it could take, take a, a lot, lot longer, longer, a lot more patience. It should be a struggle for them to retain it. There's going to be a lot of the fate, but like, yeah. And I thought that was kind of uh, cool too, but I was constantly wondering when we're like, you know, is this like a hard limitation of his or is, is this something that well, that's uh, the great thing about this movie, especially in 1988 when people know so little about autism and don't, don't even know really what it is or, or understand that it's a thing that exists. You step into a movie theater, you see this movie and you're along with Charlie for the ride, right? You have either no idea what's what autism is, or maybe you have some wrong ideas about it. And I, I don't want to say the movie's perfect. Cause I don't know like a ton about autism, but I will say I, from what I do understand, it's pretty accurate um, for this mm-hmm. particular you know, for a flavor of autism, right? Um, for for this far on the spectrum with the savant, yeah. Right. Uh, it does a pretty good job of portraying that. And I feel like as an audience member, you're sort of learning along the way too, right? Okay, what are Raymond's uh, capabilities and limitations? How how do I need to adjust my thinking about Raymond during the course of this movie? Mm-hmm. Um, just like Tom Cruise is doing, just like Charlie. I, th- that's one of the areas where the movie succeeds. And I think it's part of it because like, you know, Dustin Hoffman, um, pretty good actor, um, you know, subscribes to the method, does a lot of research. And apparently he followed around uh, three autistic men. One of them was a Kim Peek. Uh, There's another that was like the brother of a a famous uh, in in, uh, Major League Baseball player and just kind of like spent six to eight weeks following them around, living with them, like getting down like the different. uh, uh, stimming practices like you know how like sometimes Raymond would, like slap his head when he's like overwhelmed yeah. uh, the different ticks word ticks and stuff so it's like it felt accurate because I don't think Dustin Hoffman would just be like oh I'll just act like I'm gonna know, wing it <laughs> no. yeah I'm just gonna just act like whatever I think a person no he actually did no. did a study and and um, you know uh, tried to humanize it because I think that's the other thing is like that um you know, there. Oh man, I heard this, this. The most most painful things like there's like one point like Tom Cruise literally screams in his face like, "Why can't you stop acting like a retard?" Yeah, which that's always like because that's one of the things I think in our friend group we kind of like unspoken was like you're never going to say this about like you know we're never going to you know like because this, this is our friend mm-hmm. and it's such a but like I also know that like when I was talking about our friend with other people or some people like I'd overhear conversations where some people have the opinion that like, well, OK, maybe he's got a problem or two, but they really play it up like, oh, he really knows how to turn on the impairment when he's blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that is such a a really ignorant way to look at what's going on here. Yeah. But it's also like one of the things that's shocking, but like a lot of people, I think before movies like this kind of had that, like, ah, oh, he knows enough. If you know, when he is really does F or when she's doing this well, and they yeah. can, and, and, and that's yeah. one of the things that Tom Cruise is doing in this movie. Yeah. Is putting his own expectations for a normal person like himself onto Raymond. Right. And that is the mistake right. he makes throughout what 80 percent of this movie i mean it's only like the last i wouldn't even say the last act it's like the last the second half of the last act when tom cruise like turns around and starts to finally get raymond that raymond and it's it's exemplified by this scene where dustin hoffman um raymond is repeating who's on first right this this Mm -hmm. abin costello sketch yeah classic um and and Charlie comes up to him and he says, like, you're never going to. So why do you keep saying that? You're never going to solve this. It's a joke. It's not a riddle. It's you're not going to get you're not going to solve it. And in that moment, I'm looking at at Charlie and I'm saying, why are you shouting at this autistic savant? You're never going to solve it. Right. This is not a riddle to be solved. This is a person that 
has uh, some form of atypical uh, neurology that you can't just shout at and get him to do get him to act quote unquote normal. Right. That's not going to work. Right. Why don't you get that? Why? Why do you keep essentially? Why do you keep running around this? Who's on first thing in your own head? Right. Why are you the way you are? Yeah, but that's like ableism 101 that like I think it's born out of people trying to analogize their own situations like, oh, I broke my leg. and I had to hobble around for eight weeks, but I got over it. And like also, if I really wanted to get off and get the remote control, I could do. And they're trying to analyze, you know, like, yeah, I think it's like stems from kind of empathy and all, but also frustration with this. Like, well, why can't the other person do that, too? Like, why? I was sick when I was a kid for like two, three months getting over mono or something. So I know what it's like to be a kid in a cancer ward, you know, like it's, it comes from a, you know, like that's what humans are pattern matching, you know, like, Oh, there's mm-hmm. a, this is a person with this thing. And I had that thing. And also we try to be empathetic towards people. And that like all goes behaywire when you're trying to deal with something that's so far outside of like the norm or so off, far outside of your personal experience. And you get things like, yeah, Tom yeah. Cruise screaming in his face under or doing like even like um, benign instances of like uh, when Raymond had made I forget what he was maybe he was dancing with somebody and he he like did a fairly successful human interaction and Tom Cruise's reaction to grab him into a bear hug yeah. and it's like but which of course then you know set set uh, Raymond back significantly because that's invading his personal space and all that he doesn't like to be touched and all that. but like. Uh, but but also it's like that, that that was one of the cool things about the movie watching Tom Cruise figure out the accommodations he could make like I'm going to buy mm. this guy a watch a watchman a, a portable TV so he can always have his Wapner I'm going to like get a hotel when it's rainy because like it's just not worth like there's there's no way you can make this guy do something he doesn't want to do right um, and this even like there's other just like I just thought there is I, I started noticing this throughout the movie and I thought that Levinson put the stuff in. Like there's a scene where they're waiting in a waiting room and there's this old man with probably middle way dementia just going on and on about the Pony Express to no one in particular. And like showing another like atypical yeah. like neuro, like someone who was used to be quote unquote normal and now has kind of gone on to some kind of spectrum and like the futility of uh, trying to like scream at that old man. You know, I've seen that happen too. I had a grandfather Alzheimer's. My family's not perfect. Uh, the frustration that comes across there, but like how ridiculous it would be. And also it's interesting that like Raymond interacted with this guy with zero frust. Like he was just sitting mm-hmm. there and like just listening to the guy go on because he's perfectly happy to be droned on to about the Pony Express. Yeah. Um. So like these profoundly impacted individuals were like simpatico in this way. Is this there's a couple other situations like that where they kind of like wave to someone that had some. You know, you just kind of drove by somebody having some kind of like compulsion or whatever. And I thought that it was intentional to kind of like ask you, you know, what does it even mean to be impaired? And if 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 we take yeah. it literally, like probably aren't we all impaired with something or another? And, and that's um, why like movies in general can be so important. Right. And specifically movies like this, because they give you a window into an experience that you don't have personally. Um and they can give you, you know, more compassion and more empathy for people in those circumstances. Uh, you know, they can do a lot. I, I, I think movies are more important than just, and I'm not going to say all movies like fast five probably didn't do any of that. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't learn anything from that other than you could, you could, that, that's the safe one, right? Is that the one where they drag a safe around the street? I might I try that. Maybe that's fast four. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, skyscraper jump I can't remember uh, but yeah mm, I mean movies kind of can be important in that way right to, to expose you to things that you wouldn't have real life experience with and, and give you some way to relate to those people right um, I want to talk about some things that like if, with one viewing and not knowing that this was the case like um, I caught on like I, when I was watching it with Cecily um, you know Raymond talked about how he had this childhood friend the rain rain man and then we meet Raymond like literally three seconds later. And I just like I said, I wonder if there is some kind of, you know, relationship here. And mm-hmm. then it kind of comes out of nowhere. This this experience in the hotel with the hot water burn baby. Yeah. And like, I think like the script f- made a couple leaps of ahead of where I was at, where like Tom Cruise, like instantly intuited that like, oh, you were this 
kind of like comforting, soothing presence that I barely remember and I couldn't. I, mm-hmm. Did did was that clear? I guess was that clear to you, or I, I felt like it was a little like like murky. And also, yeah. Tom Cruise asked uh, like in in the um the the I don't know what do you call that the uh family court session or the the therapist session that like they're trying to have a a competency hearing or whatever and it didn't go in his favor he asked like this question of like why didn't anyone ever tell me that i had a brother Mm -hmm. i felt like there wasn't very good answers to that for sure Um, or maybe the answers lie to towards um the old man's problem he had with tom cruise or something but like i felt like i maybe it'd be clear if i watched it more but like i i didn't quite understand how all those things connected and like that seemed like a reasonable answer. Like how the hell do you not know about this brother? Um, yeah, I think you're right. It, it was a little bit muddy. They don't totally explain it. They just sort of let us figure it out while Tom Cruise is figuring it out. But he has like the, the, the script has this character with these lived experiences that we aren't as privy to, you know, that there's a right. life within that character um, that the audience doesn't get to quite see. But I think we see enough of it to understand that, OK, there, there was a relationship where one time um, and, you know, there was an incident where maybe Raymond put Charlie into a bath that was too hot trying to, you know, uh, take care of him. And then that uh, caused a caused him to send him to uh, Well, Wellbrook, whatever the. The places. So, the, yeah. So like that, that's is that, that's the other missing piece of the puzzle. Like was there an allegation that Raymond hurt Charlie and be then and, and because of that, the father like had to, you know, like, well, I can't allow this happen. I got to ship him off. But like, I think and so, it, but not intentionally. Right. It wasn't like Raymond tried to hurt. No, Charlie. no, no, just, no, no, no. It happened. But also like I, Tom Cruise came with the, the to the impression that uh not only did Charlie not try to hurt me, but like Charlie's trying to save me like that. There's a, there's a leap there. I didn't quite understand. And oh. the other thing is like, um, it also wasn't clear to me. Cause like it all tracks that like, Oh, well, if Tom Cruise became a selfish asshole that he, the father would try to protect the brother from him. But like if Char- Tom Cruise is like three years old during the yeah. burning incident, then why wouldn't you have him be a part of Raymond's life going forward? Cause Raymond's now an institution. He can't hurt Charlie. Uh, yeah, even if no, you wanted to so like that, that's the stuff it's like nothing mm-hmm. quite connected those two incidents and i i wondered if it was even necessary to have this kind of like you know it's, and it almost felt like it's 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 exclusively like uh the two guys who wrote this um uh morrow and bass or bass like turn to the camera and be like uh-huh title rain man huh <laughs> like that's literally the only because like Tom Cruise had already started coming all the way over to accommodating mm-hmm. uh, Raymond, Raymond seeing that he is a fully realized human that has like he's different, but he's, you know, capable of affection and loyalty and uh, all this other stuff. And like, it's almost like it, it's like if that was the thing that brought Tom Cruise over from like hating Raymond to like, oh, actually, he tried to save me. It didn't do that. So I'm like, I wondered why it was there at all. Yeah, um, these little like half connected things and like sort of missteps in the script are the thing that keep me from saying this is a truly great movie. Yeah. Um, because I feel that about the way that Tom Cruise sort of turns around on Raymond too, like his feelings toward Raymond. Um, really? And that's part of it. Yeah, I think that like that scene i'm getting glimpses of it i'm i'm getting hints as to what charlie must be thinking but also i'm not getting the full picture i i'm, I'm not feeling it like i should be um mm-hmm. at the, by the end of this movie yeah no there's something this like yeah a couple things just miss, a couple structural pieces i felt missing or maybe that stuff just needed to get out like i, I don't think it would have hurt to trim this movie 10 or 15 minutes and if you got rid of some of that stuff because that didn't really necessarily connect um yeah uh what do you feel about so how did you feel about raymond's girlfriend so was savannah samantha susanna um susanna i was gonna get it third time's a charm <laughs> uh locking raymond in a elevator teach him how to dance and kissing him i she's she doesn't understand what she's doing here um 
is my opinion. Like she doesn't know what kind of uh, conditions Raymond has really like she hasn't been on this journey with them. And so I forgive her for sort of like pushing this a lot farther and faster than maybe she should have. That's the one thing that I thought like is a legit cringe part of the movie is that like, yeah, yeah, uh, that that's a hit my modern eyes of like, Ooh, this is really taking some fucking liberties. And uh, at that point you have to like rewind an hour of that movie and say, if Tom Cruise, like look at how Tom Cruise was behaving (laughs) an hour before this. And her yeah. approach to this is, you know, a, a more like feminine man, woman, like sexual approach to it, which but it's not like I, I don't know. It, it's a messy scene. <laughs> it's a it's a confusing and I don't quite know how to talk about it, but it's I forgive her for pushing this particular avenue of uh, exploration for him because she just doesn't yeah, know. And, uh, I think the movie, I guess that's the thing that bothers me. The movie frames it as like a positive development. Like, oh, look at Raymond. He's dancing with the girl and getting getting his first kiss. Whereas like, I've like, I don't know. Cause like, you know, our real life friend, like that was one of the, as he got older and we all got older, that was like the most, one of the more painful things for him is that like, he has kind of like the mental and emotional awareness of like a uh, preteen, but the body and desires of a man and that, that, that uh and also he's independent enough that he like you know had his own job and stuff and sometimes that shit did not mix real well and yeah. caused a lot of difficult problems for for people to solve and that's that's the whole that's what i was thinking this whole time like jesus christ this is you know not it's inappropriate it's blah 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 but mm-hmm. you know again the movie is like what 34 years old at this point and yeah uh, didn't never and everybody knew that but like it's the same thing it's like you know when tom cruise left raymond alone to like you know what was he trying to do? Cook for himself? Uh, yeah, like right. Like I felt like at the, like even at the end of the movie, like uh, Charlie had thought that like, oh, you know, maybe if I get him an apartment and I stuff it full of apple juice packets and uh, you know things he likes to eat and like that, you know, and I, that that's that's something that can happen. And it's just like no, Ray, you know, Raymond's got too much of an impairment. Uh, he need a lot of work and probably to live someone yeah. living with him to make that to, to right. pull that off. Which I'm, you know, um, that's why I mean, that's also why being you, in that institution is good for him because he needs that yeah. attention twenty four seven. Yeah, I wish I knew more about his relationship with his father because, like, obviously Raymond has some positive views of his father, and his father loosened up like he was so ruthless with Tom Cruise using his car, but he lets Raymond drive drive it around. We saw how Raymond does drive it around in a car park. Yeah, you know, curbing things left and right, like. Yeah, like what uh, you know was was that like a once a year kind of guilt trip visit for his dad, or was he like yeah. there every day? Or I had a lot of I questions because obviously his dad's a man of means and was probably retired for a long time. Like, why wasn't Raymond living in the house? Um, so I yeah yeah a lot um, of questions around that, and they don't care to answer them, which is fine. Movie. Which is mm-hmm. fine. It's just like this. Like some of the other stuff, where it's like again, the movie's old. Not um not not sure what it knew it's doing, what it was doing on accident, what it was like, and also seen it the first time, like, you know, some of these things might be explained if you, if you got another viewing or whatever, but um, what else do you want to talk about? I do want to talk about this film's legacy and impact on, you know, uh, uh, mental and cognitive impairments. Um, but uh, do you have any other points that you wanted to talk about? Oh, I mean, I, I have a lot of just observations about like the humor. Cause you mentioned like, the humor is really good in this movie. It's, it's a funny movie at times, and I totally agree. There are a few scenes like uh, when they're leaving one of the towns in the Midwest, Cincinnati. They're mm-hmm. leaving Cincinnati, and Raymond's like, oh, I'm definitely not wearing my underwear. <laughs> I'm definitely not wearing my... We gotta go back to Kmart. I'm not wearing my underwear. Right. Uh, hilarious scene. There's... Oh, and that's where he pulls over, and he like walks like they, they have a crane shot. And Tom uh-huh. Cruise like walks half a football field away and just starts screaming, son of a bitch, son of a, just out of sheer frustration mm-hmm. with uh, his, his brother wanting to go back to Cincinnati for, for Kmart underwear. Yeah. Uh, and then he throws his underwear on, on the road. He throws it out of the car and Raymond says mm-hmm. something about it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you're, you threw your underwear on the highway. Uh, and then there are a couple of other funny scenes like the... He finally learns Tom Cruise can be taught. Aha, congratulations. He finally learns not to let Raymond out of his sight after like the fifth time that he turns his back and Raymond's gone. And it's gone, yeah. Right. Um, he, so he takes him into the phone booth with him 
And he's trying to make all these calls and Raymond's got this backpack and like it's a very cramped space and he's talking about how cramped it is. And at one point he just says, "Uh oh, fart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's apparently a pretty bad one, too. Uh-huh. Because yeah, that's like Charlie. a really, really good physical comedy from Hoffman because just the yeah. way they're moving in his booth, like, you know, like uh, Tom Cruise is trying to talk on the phone. And also, every time he turns to face Raymond, Raymond's back on the other side trying for the door. Uh-huh. Uh, it was just, yeah, it was like I said, really good physical comedy. Uh, and, and Hoffman plays it. Hoffman is able to be that funny and he never breaks character and never. he never like turns things up or whatever. Like these are just not, this is just like what would happen if you try to put Raymond in a glass box. Yeah. <laughs> For I mean, five he's a straight minutes. man, right? In the moments of comedy, he's the, the ultimate. Uh, I don't know which is the straight man, Costello or Abbott, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he's, he's a straight man in that duo. Yeah. Um, which I, that's also like, that's one of the geniuses of the, the, the smart things in the script, I should say. Is like, you know, having him, his home base, quote unquote, be the Abbott and Costello skit, like, mm-hmm. you know, fame stare and, and crazy man, like in Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman, both having that kind of energy. Um, yeah, because you know, like Tom Cruise is a pretty good ranter. Uh-huh. He's a pretty good, like losing his shit, you know, whether he's jumping up and down on Oprah's couch or he's screaming into the <laughs> desert about his brother's fixation on underwear. He gives and, and I, that's another one of the Tom Cruise's gifts is he's very good at playing these literally cocky, selfish, mm-hmm. ruthless assholes. But he's still so fucking likable that the audience never quite turns on him. Right. Yeah. And, and like when he, he kinda, does have his turn, you follow him down that road. Yeah. You, you forgive yeah, him for everything that came before. A lot like Leo. I guess it's just attractive people. Yeah. You know, charismatic, right. attractive people. Turns out <laughs> get away with a lot. Uh, true, but yeah. th- that's it's a strength because he does like yeah if this was like a you know like like Steve Buscemi like I feel like the <laughs> like like oh, no. the audience the audience turns on Steve Buscemi <laughs> somewhere in the middle of the second act like the second he screams the R word right in Dustin Hoffman's face it's like okay yeah fuck yeah. this guy but you know you're always kind of like rooting for the the guy with the car the weird car business and the hot girlfriend and you know it seems attractive and oh, if he could just you know learn to care about other people. Hmm. All right, before we get to sort of wrapping this thing up um, with the bigger topics, one more thing. This movie was nominated for an Oscar for Best Original Score. Hmm. Did, you, did you have your volume on while you were I watching was this not movie? Aware, I was not aware of the... I mean, it, it's what? It's got a couple of like... Uh, <laughs> kind of doo-wop numbers throughout no no it's like th- this movie is a two-hour toto music video like i i just kept saying i kept feeling like they were gonna say i felt the rains down in africa mm. every time the the main like pan flute theme would come on i hated the music in this i hated it it might be of its time though you know, like, I, I, I mean, wonder maybe. if there's going to be like 30 years from now, some of the stuff that Trent Reznor's doing, the industrial synth wave stuff is going to be like, Jesus Christ, I get it with the droning bass. Like, yeah. you know, it's like it's ever going to be kind of like that. Uh, but like, yeah, but I, I honestly, but, I didn't even I did. It's so generic. I didn't even notice it. Wow. It, it was the only thing I could hear when it was on uh, the screen. I I don't know why they chose that musical style either, because there's nothing in this movie that says anything about like. You know, vaguely Caribbean, like nothing, nothing in this movie well, fits like, that music. That's like Commando. I watched that six months ago, and I think he's got a full <laughs> Calypso band going. Right. There's a there's a there's a dude on the beach smoking doobie, playing a steel drum uh-huh. behind everything. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is a like one wearing a Hawaiian step removed. Sh- yeah, like one guy wears a Hawaiian shirt in his movie, and they're like, I got it, steel uh-huh. drums for everything. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's uh. So I don't, I don't get time. it. Like L.A. I, I mean, I guess they must have shown a palm tree at some point, but that doesn't yeah. mean Caribbean. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Like man, that, that was, was like, that, that, that aesthetic that like woodwind, like you said, Toto. Uh, yeah. Bill Collins fucked around with that a lot. Um, uh-huh. Like didn't Peter Gabriel do some of that stuff, too? Like that that was kind oh, of yeah. in the. Yeah, uh, yeah. But yeah, winning an Oscar for it. OK, I, I don't know, man. I don't know. I hated it. OK, I'm ready to talk about better stuff. Okay, music. let's talk about because that's one of the things I was really curious about. Um, like what 
you know, how is this viewed contemporaneously by the autism community, which <laughs> kind of didn't exist um, or and uh, by, by people? And how is it viewed today? Because, you know, that's something that I've seen a lot whenever a particular group gains visibility and acceptance, they go through this kind of like well-defined pattern where you have like uh, unflattering portrayals that kind of like get the door wedged in and like stereotypical portrayals, um, but allows like uh, a, a, a group of people in the door. Then you have token where it's like, they're just cast to be the whatever minority X in something. And they're just essentially treated like everybody else, except for they got the one thing like they're a guy, it's a guy in a wheelchair. There's nothing about that that's important to the plot. It's just one of the one of the plucky mm. groups of friends is in a wheelchair. Yeah. Uh, and then then you have like the roles where it's about the thing, you know, mm-hmm. and then it, it, this and then you have these like very sympathetic and it's like, you know, a two hour movie about a person struggling with the wheelchair and how they got in the wheelchair, how they feel about being in a wheelchair, how society perceives them and how that affects them. And for the first time, like, oh, again, you kind of and then you have like what you call like normalization where it's like you can now it's no longer token because people bake all that other stuff so when the plucky friend is in a wheelchair you remember all the times you've seen the intense wheelchair biopics and you kind of like take all that knowledge and now that guy can be anything um so rain man as the first kind of autistic and first kind of like starring role for a person that has a different you know way to you know view the world cognitively emotionally stuff like that um, it's definitely going to have things that hit our ears wrong 35 years later. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I found a lot of stuff. Like I said, like 1988 is widely seen as an inflection year that the rates of like diagnosis and awareness of autism just like skyrocket. Um, you know, that's uh, it, a huge increase in, in diagnoses and, and resources being aware and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people attribute that to Rain Man, which is which is positive. Uh, as we've already said that there's also some stereotyping that like people thought that like, uh, you know, uh, oh, autistic people. OK, uh, you, you, you got to watch Wapner and you got to have your particular underwear. But hey, you can also memorize a phone book, which mm-hmm. probably is not great for people that are not autistic savants to yeah. like have that kind of like stereotype out there. Um, but I, I mean, I, on on the whole, like I feel like a lot of people, because the people involved did have their heart in the right place, were telling authentic people's stories. The people involved in production, the the stars, were like did their homework and research. It still, I think, holds up, and it feels like that's the consensus. With mm-hmm. a couple of modern critiques, like for example, the one of the the biggest critiques I saw is like why couldn't why we have Dustin Hoffman play this role instead of a person with autism, you know, kind of like the way RJ Mitt is it Mitty hmm. uh, and, and breaking bad plays a person with the cerebral palsy, uh, some kind of motor dysfunction. He is not nearly as impaired, right, but he right. does have that impairment and he brings that to the role, um, mm-hmm. a certain amount of kind of humanism, humanist, human humanism and, and, and dignity to it. You know, like someone, with that condition is representing it. Um, I don't think you can literally have someone uh, as, as you know, you put it deep into the spectrum as Raymond is perform on film. I I think there are a lot of questions about consent on that. There are a lot of questions about like, how do you get this person to perform the way you want them to? Um, I, that that would be tough i i think yeah maybe you could have someone with a little bit less severe uh autism come in and play that but certainly you weren't going to get that in 1988 <laughs> but it's interesting because like 1989 uh smash it tv show life goes on uh starring role of corky uh yeah. played by man of down syndrome not as severely impaired as what he was but like that yeah. already i don't think that that show happens without rain man um Probably. much less like you know that so like you already see even back then Hollywood starting to take, you know, some of these critiques to heart. And mm-hmm. I, it's like so a lot, of, a lot of times people ask me this. It's like, well, what's the whole deal? Like, well, why do you have to be like, you know, uh, why does it matter that like you have um, an Italian guy playing a Mexican? Why does it matter that you have someone from China playing a Japanese person? Why does it matter if uh, you have a, 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 a person who's straight and and cis play a trans woman? What? What was isn't that isn't that what acting's all about? 
And I think that that's actually true in a perfect world in a world where like a person with a disability has an equal shot of being a good actor as like a Chris Hemsworth Mm -hmm. um, or a Dustin Hoffman or Tom Cruise or whoever Uh, in a world where like, uh, you know, uh, especially like, you know, Mexican and Indian uh, Native American actors in the fifties and sixties had an equal shot of portraying their own people as like an Italian actor or a person just with wearing bronzer, for example, mm-hmm. like if, if we lived in a world where that was all kind of equal and fair, then yeah, go nuts. Dustin Hoffman want to play an autistic man, but we don't live in that world. We live in that world where those roles are very vanishingly small. Like think about all the, the dwarf yeah. roles you've seen that are serious and how many of them are Peter Dinklage. Like there's right. tons uh, and for every Peter Dinklage, how many Peter Dinklages we got that don't see the light of day because there's Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's, it's like, I'm not going to go back and like burn rain man's prints to the ground because what they did in 88. But like, no. I think if you made this in 2021, you would want to find someone with some kind of autism that has an insight that, you know, obviously, cause yeah, there's, there's all kinds of like, would it even be humane uh, like, like if you got someone as disabled as Walt Jr. is on Breaking Bad, would it be would they be able to stand up to a full shooting right. script? Could, could you make accommodations? But also, could you make yeah. accommodations so you could get that authenticity? I don't know. I just think like um, a lot of people just don't get past that first hurdle of like, well, what's the big deal? It's acting, which is true. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like you, you got to think about the t- entirety of, of, of fairness and like an able bodied person taking a disabled role it's already hard enough to break it into Hollywood when you're disabled. Um, yeah. you know, that's, I think that's what sticks in people's craw. Um, but yeah, at, in, in 88 going back and trying to recast that, you know, that that's the thing is like, you know, if, if you buy all this like uh, autism inflection point at face value too, it seems like maybe there weren't as many autism people that knew they were autistic back then. Sure. You know? Yeah. Uh, Especially so, people with, uh, a, a mild, uh, version of it right like yeah uh, maybe they just avoid eye contact or something or maybe you know like they, they don't quite know um oh yeah i've got autism they just think oh that person's a little weird yeah yeah and, and then a lot of the other criticisms i see is like you know the way that tom tom cruise initially treats the guy as you know as a MacGuffin is pretty beyond the pale but like even oh, contemporaneously I mean, that's, that's I think you're movie. supposed to understand. Yeah, yeah. you need yeah. a journey, right? You can't have a journey without starting a a journey to a good person without starting with a bad person. Like, and just like you know, in Philadelphia, you know, the if if it were uncomfortable with the way people treated uh, mentally ill people in the night in the late '80s, well, there was an uncomfortable time, and it were still, mm-hmm. you know, like there there's been a lot. I'm not going to say there's not been a lot of progress because I knew that the kind of yeah. the ways people were portrayed on television and movies back in the day. And I know how they're portrayed now. There's been a lot of progress, but still needs. But but yeah, like, you know, sometimes that's uncomfortable to watch because it was uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've everything that I've seen, like Tom Cruise say to uh, to Raymond, to, to Dustin Hoffman here, I've definitely seen said to the people I care about um, and about them. So it's like it, it seemed like as a, a pretty good performance. But yeah, I mean, like as a long story short, um, things have changed a lot in the last 30 years. And if you're autistic, there's probably, um, you know, you, you, I, I could see there being valid criticisms or if you care about people that are autistic, that there that's stuff that doesn't quite strike you or seems stereotypical nowadays. Um, but all in all, it seemed like it was good for its time and it still holds up because at the yeah, end of the movie, I didn't like think it. that Raymond, and that's, that's, that's the other thing that felt like one of the reasons it felt melancholy and uncomfortable is like, cause I wanted, you know, like you, like you said, it, it, it wasn't possible for Tom Cruise to care for Dustin Hoffman, but like you wanted something more you wanted because you, you saw how much growth and how much uh, that relationship meant to these two guys. And you wanted that to go forward. The movie gives you a little bit of hope, but I don't know, like that, there's something about the way Tom Cruise, after he says goodbye to Raymond, he's kind of sits there and the movie ends that makes you think that like, you know, did this week approximately really change Charlie that much? Or is he going to start thinking about like, yeah, well, what am I gonna, I'm going to try to get these testoroses over here next. And uh, I got to patch things up with my girl. And I got to, you know, the one guy that I've been berating for the first half of the movie. I haven't even talked to him in a week. And is he going to get too busy in, in his life? Um, or I wonder if they've heard of Raymond uh, of rain man over in Atlantic city. 
<laughs> right. Like you wonder <laughs> right. about that too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the whole, the whole card counting, uh, mm. business. Yeah. That's uh, one casino band. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. God, there's a, they essentially do the, uh, MIT tour. Uh, when Vegas is too big, yeah. go to Atlantic City. When Atlantic City tried to reservations, reservations once have you the shady places in the Bahamas, and you just kind of go around and around. Oh, that was the other thing. Uh, I there were two moments in this movie that made me go, "Holy shit!" The eighties were crazy, uh, or the eighties were just different. Um, that's that smog scene at the beginning, and then it's the shot of the skyline in Las Vegas, where I, I stayed in Caesar's Palace, not in the fancy high rollers room, but I've. T- yeah, the strip is completely different now. Completely, uh, completely. Yeah, like that was a. It's yeah. We we talked about this before, like the transition era where they would go from uh-huh. like the old strip to the new strip. Like you're, you could see like uh, the Caesars Palace was there, like yeah. the the start of the new strip. But like a lot of st- even the stuff that's like dated nowadays, like Luxor, I don't think was or there. Like right? Sands, I I think Sands was still up. I don't know that Sands is still around. The Mirage is different- like right next to Caesars Palace. Yeah, and like uh, it's changed again because like a lot of films like in the early 2000s showed the old strip as being as run down, shitty kind of like afterthought, yeah. which it kind of was. But now they turned it into its own attraction, man. They've covered the street. They've shut it down. to tr- Like you just can stagger from casino to casino. There's like uh, yeah. what they call the sky uh, lines, zip lines or zip lines run up and down and like high def LED displays. And oh, like, yeah, there's so, like overhead trains that run around. There's a, a big ass Ferris wheel. Yeah, it's it's always interesting. Like you see you see stuff from the 50s and 60s versus the 70s, 80s versus the 90s. To, like it's it's yeah. Vegas is always changing, man. It is. <sighs> ah, Vegas. I'm actually hoping to go there later this year, <laughs> making oh, my trumpet nice. return back. Uh, since the last bypass, but that's that. I think that'll do it for um, our, our Rain Man coverage. Uh, hope you guys have enjoyed it. It's a great film. Uh, check it out. I think it holds up, um, but also it doesn't hurt to, to view it more critically with a modern eye. Uh, we'll be back with another prestige film or uh, uh, perhaps a television series. Um, hopefully coming, coming, coming back pretty soon. We're, we're waiting for some prestige television to drop. Yeah, not looking. I'm not looking for the the. 200,000 uh, a, a week viewers on HBO, but like, it'd be nice if we had uh, a better call. Saul, for example, come back mm-hmm. something to sink our teeth into week we to week for but, all uh, mankind, unfortunately, but, ah, but then would that be pulp? Cause it has rockets no. in it. No, yeah, I'm, I don't I think agree. so, but we did I cover agree. it on off the clock. So if you're a, a club member or patron, you can check that out there. It would be funny. Cause like, I think it's entirely possible that it will, it will cross the threshold into pulp. Uh, within the next season or two, but you know, so. it'd be first ever crossover pulp prestige uh, hit. But uh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're they'll have some stuff out for us eventually. And if not, we'll continue making our way through these classic movies. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya. <laughs>